you've been killing it with the podcast games. An idea whose time has come cannot be stopped by any army or any government. The Other and One Pole Podcast starts now. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and give a little blurb. Welcome to the Honor and Ron Paul podcast, episode 33-0. And back with me today is the Afro-Libertarian. He was on episode uh, 16, Honor and Ron Paul slash EP 16. Mm. Why are libertarians like a flock of geese? A bunch of honkies. <laughs> I came up with that one. I hope you don't mind. I didn't even run that title past you, but I just it hit me like a like a ton of bricks. And <laughs> but I wanted to have you back on because um, last time I chatted with you, uh, COVID hadn't happened. Yeah, and then craziness hadn't happened. George Floyd. Um, so it was a completely different time, man. Like we were dealing with like. Trump impeachment and yeah, like you know, it was just a nice, sane era. That's right of America. You know, like just Trump impeachment, Russia yeah. Gate, stuff yeah, like that. A, you know, just a deep state coup against a, a president. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. No you know. big deal. In, Don't you miss those days? <laughs> escalating tensions with China and North Korea and Syria, and you know. The simpler times. Bring those times <laughs> back. <laughs> so, uh, is it racist that I had you on specifically to talk about this? Or is it anti-racist? I get so confused. <laughs> Help me out here. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little racist, but you know, <laughs> we, we all are. We all are a little racist, as my man Comic David Smith likes to say yeah uh let's dig into this a little bit because i live in portland well not actually in portland i'm outside of portland on a small acreage um fortunately well away from all that so i'm seeing it on the news just like everyone else has seen it on the news but it's day 93 of ongoing protests with windows being smashed and stuff being set on fire it's not every night that somebody gets hurt but you know it's it's pretty common and uh and now we have this this new incident up in um wisconsin uh that seems to be building on all of this and uh so i just wanted to to get your take on this as far as how you're experiencing this as an african-american is that too well, much? Well, as an African-American. <laughs> if you could just go ahead and speak no. for everyone that looks slightly like you, I would yeah. really appreciate I, that. <laughs> would you like me to speak for the African-American community? There you go. Uh, no, listen, look, I I can't lie, man. Like, it's been a rough year. You know, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's because we live in a time where we get inundated with you know, news and pictures and video of all these things going on around the world, going around on around the country. But it's been, I, you know, I talked to my buddy yesterday and I just was talking to him about how it's just so exhausting. Mm. Just every day you wake up and it's just something new on the news that you got to have a take on or you got to have a thought on. And it's, it's just wearing me out, bro. And, 
you know, all this stuff the last couple of months with, you know, starting with the George, you know, let's just, you know, remove the whole COVID-19 pandemic, which is like one of like the craziest things that ever happened. Yeah. Let's put that to the side for a second. And then you've got the George Floyd thing, protests, riots, looting, you know, reverberates throughout society, you know, through every level of society. And now, you know, it's kind of it died down for a little while. And now it's starting to come to a head again. And I mean, I just can't describe it other than just being exhausted because I mean, just personally as just myself, I can't say as a black man, but as a black man, you know, I have, I do have certain types of feelings about the way, uh, black people are treated in this country, specifically by law enforcement, but by, by the government. Uh, you know, I do like largely agree with, uh, certain factions of the black lives matter movement, uh, in regards to how, you know, how policing is done specifically in the black community. Mm-hmm. Not only, I mean, not only for me, not only that, but in large part, the police in general, just as a libertarian, you know, but there's also another level of that just what led me to being a libertarian is my experience with the police throughout my life and understanding the history of the police, you know, so, you know, it strikes me on a different level, but then you also have this parallel movement going on, you know, this social justice kind of woke, uh, you know, critical theory, Marxist, whatever you want to call it, movement that's taking hold in this country, <clears throat> that's pushing this narrative, this victim versus oppressor narrative, where it's trying to pit all these identities against each other, you know, and trying to make, trying to reinvent racism and flip it on his head to where, you know, basically trying to invent uh, like a revolution or retribution against certain people of a lighter complexion. And, you know, it's ugly, man. Like we are in an ugly state in this country. And I know people like to say that all the time on the news and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this, maybe it's just because of social media and the news. Maybe I'm thinking it's more serious than other, but I don't think so. Like just when you look at history, I really feel like we are in a dark place Mm. and it's going to be, I I don't know how it's going to play out, man, because people are at each other's necks. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I would have said like, oh, this is nothing. This is happening on the fringes. These are just kind of crazy college students versus, you know, radicals. But this is, you know, this is real, man. This is happening on the doorsteps of just regular American folks. And, it's going to get closer and closer to where people start picking sides and all that stuff. And it's going to get nasty. And I don't want it to see it to get to that point, but I just, I've never experienced nothing like what's been going on this year that I have in my life and my, you know, and I'm almost 40 years old. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you about your age because to get an idea of kind of what you've seen, because, um, 
I, I want let's separate for a little bit within your 40 years as far as um, the police interactions and then also just person to person interactions uh, and kind of take them as two separate things. Um, do you feel that uh, society is in general, as far as um, how different people are treating you for when you were young up until now, is, is that, uh, are, are more people um, shunning you because of your race or are, there, uh, are, you, are you seeing more uh, interpersonal uh, conflicts because of ethnicity or is that getting better or staying the same no man i mean look as far as like racism like day-to-day racism man no black person is really dealing with that on a day-to-day basis i've dealt with it rarely in my life i have dealt with it you know i'm from the south deep south you know i have dealt with it but nothing compared to what my parents dealt with, my grandparents dealt with, nothing to that level, you know, and I get along, you know, I have no problem getting along with everybody. And white people are as friendly as always, like, you know, I don't know if it's a white thing, but white thing are, white people are known for being extra friendly, like too friendly, damn it. Like, <laughs> like too damn friendly. Leave me alone. And I live down south, like I'm in, you know, I'm down south, man, and you know, we down south, we have a certain way, like, even I'll put it like this, even our racists are friendly. <laughs> you know, they, it's like they don't wanna they don't wanna live around you, you know, yeah. they might not want to live around you or nothing like that, but you know, they'll hold the door open for you, you know, if you go on into a Hey, how a y'all doing? You know I just so glad to see you, but now if you could just go on and get in the back of the bus there, that'd just be great. <laughs> no, bless your heart. I'm so glad you got on this bus, but you know, that's just <laughs> Why don't you come clean my kitchen tomorrow? You know, bless your heart, but this is for the white folk. Yeah, exactly. Well, I had a, I kind of had an inkling that that might be what you answer because, you know, I I grew up in the Midwest um, and and we just didn't really have minorities. Um, And uh, so, you know, you would hear racist jokes. I didn't really have a whole lot of context, uh, you know, other than, you know, the, it just right up there with um, mean jokes or gross jokes. It was just like edgy and, and, uh, but the last time I had heard like a straight up racist joke, it had been quite a while. They were pretty popular through the eighties and whatnot growing up. And I don't know if that's just like a uh, grade school thing or a high school fringe thing or, or just because you know, everyone's mean at that age. Um, yeah. Or if it was just kind of the times, the last time I heard it, a racist joke was, is, you know, I hadn't heard any for quite a while. Um, and then someone told one, and I was like, whoa, what, what's going on? And and he, of course, wanted to be a cop. And I was like, oh, man, that just fits right into my <laughs> little narrative. Like, why you know when you're looking for confirmation bias it's always right there always right there it's oh, like hello on. how are you, you know. doing but you know so it seems like a lot of a lot of things are improving as far as interpersonal racial harmonies 
but at the same time, the police actions, and, and this is something I, I want to know because, um, you know, is this a, an element? So eh, let's go back. I mean, you, you talk to some of the academics, I mean, or read some like uh, Thomas Sowell, black e- economist and, and sociology kind of guy or, or whatnot. And they kind of talk about just think of the police as having their own incentives and their own motives. And you start to incentivize for arrests and you start to incentivize for writing tickets and uh, the, the drug drug laws, everybody's pushing, you know, no drugs, no drugs. And you're going to go to uh, high density impoverished areas where there's going to be more crime and drugs. So you can rack up these things. It just happens to be that uh, from how the country has evolved, that those are largely African-American communities. Therefore it's understandable in a, some sense, quote unquote, understandable that, African-Americans would be more likely to be victimized by the police because that's just how the police generates its revenue and tickets and stuff like that. Uh, Kind of looking at it more mechanistically as opposed to racial. And then there's some other, you know, different uh, psychological research and whatnot where they kind of, you know, break out all these different interactions and, and then put different police officers to these different challenges with, you know, uh, black silhouettes and white silhouettes and, you know, black videos and white video people, who do they shoot and stuff like that. And uh, there's always some interesting outcomes with that. But at the same time, you know, it, it really is an extremely common narrative uh, that I hear from essentially all African-Americans that, you know, they're pulled over because they were driving while black. Yeah. And so since I don't have that issue, <laughs> it, it's, it's, uh, I just want a, a little bit of input from you as far as uh, your experiences are the cops just looking for arrests and they don't particularly care what the race is, or is that more of the institutional? And then by the time it filters down to the individual cops, they're now kind of trained to be uh, racist just based on the milieu that they're around. How do you see this all breaking down? I mean, well, I mean, definitely race plays a factor. I mean, I mean, let's just be honest. Race plays a factor in how we interact with society at some level, for some less, for some more. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? I mean, we all, it's, you know, the whole color, colorblindness thing is just, not a factual reality for existing in a multicultural society. It's just not a, it's, you just can't live like that. Some tried to, and, you know, and for example, like a lot of white people have tried to, you know, I mean, after the civil rights movement and, you know, that whole thing, a lot of white people raised their kids to don't see color, you know, live by, Martin Luther King expression of, you know, judge by character, not the color of the skin. And, you know, but you're trying to battle against human nature. So if, you know, humans go, humans operate all for patterns. If they see certain patterns, 
that affects their behavior. It's just a part of human reality, you know, and the same thing goes for cops. To a certain extent, hmm. you could blame you could blame that on, you know, you could say, okay, that's the reason cops do this or that. But then you have to step it up to another level. What are what's your average local police district? What's what's their job? Like how are they graded as far as doing their job? Some of the arrests, you know, police departments and districts that rack up the most felony arrests, they have good stats. And what do bosses care about? They care about stats. What do mayors and politicians care about? They care about statistics. They don't care, you know, yes, they care about crime statistics, but those could be, uh, you know, manipulated as they need, as needed. But, you know, your typical cop wants to rack up enough felony arrests to show that he's doing a good job. Just like any one of us do any kind of job and we have to show that our productivity, right. their productivity is felony arrests. And if you're a cop, where are you going to go? Are you going to go to like a gated community and, you know, harass, you know, upper middle class people that can't afford a lawyer, that do have some kind of status within their society, or people that do, that can't afford bail? people that can't, that are educated, people that can protect their property and, you know, has the social status to show that, you know, they are, you know, upstanding citizens, or are you going to go to the hood where you have people, you know, on the edge of society, you know, just trying to figure it out and trying to make money any kind of way they can, uh, poor education, um, you name it, you know, it, it, they make money any kind of way they can, even if it's not illegal, it's, you know, outside the acceptable norms of permits and occupational licenses and all these different things. When you know you could pull over a car and you see three black dudes in one car, okay, there's a 60% chance that one of them is going to have marijuana. You could just pull over that car and you could search the car you, illegally. You know, you know that they don't have the legal representation to fight that, to fight an illegal search. Right. You know that if one of them might have a gun, even it's even though it's <clears throat> legal, you know, <clears throat> to carry a gun. And a lot of times, if you live in the hood, it's like important that you carry a gun right. <laughs> you know, for your own existence. You know, if they have a gun and a little weed, that's a felony charge. Right. So <laughs> as a policeman, you rack up that felony charge, your day, your day is done. You submit that report and you could enjoy your day because you got your stat for the day. You've done a good job. Who cares what happens to these guys after that day? You know, they could, you're not, you don't even know you probably ruin those guys' lives. They can't get a job because right. they have a felony charge. They can't. Go to college. They can't get a federal student loan, even though I hate federal student loans. They can't get a student loan to go to college. They can't compete in the workforce. Mm -hmm. So that just completely changes the spectrum. And of course, when you look at the incentives, of course they're going to focus on minority neighborhoods, black neighborhoods, lower income neighborhoods, 
and communities. It just makes sense if that's the incentives that you're looking for, you know, and that's one of the horrors of the drug war, you know, and uh, I mean, if you just look at the history of the drug war, right? shoot, man, it's, you can't deny the racial, the racist um, underpinnings Explicitly, of the yeah. drug war. Yeah. Like, you just can't deny it, you know, and I mean, you uh, you know, Chris Carlton of... Uh, I was just going to mention his podcast. Yeah, yeah, the, the historical controversies. Like, oh, I, that, I, know, I, know, I knew a ton about drug war already, but when I listened to that, I was like, damn, yeah. I didn't know that. And I was just Googling and reading and just reading so many books about the stuff. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's just so underpinned in it and i know some people be like well you know there's no laws on the book that mention race yes i get it i can understand mm. but you understand this thing is baked into the fabric of these laws it's baked into the history of policing in america which is not old you know it's talking about you know an institution that's you know started in what in the mid 1800s you know really that is rooted from uh, fugitive slaves and stuff like that, man. It's, so, you know, I, that's why, I, you know, I sympathize and empathize with a lot of the things that, you know, say BLM or some of its, some of its uh, protesters are saying, but they are just completely off track. <laughs> yeah. Just as an example of, uh, you know, something Chris Carlton brought up, I, I, I was going to have him on. Uh, a while ago, but then it just kind of fell through. And he, and he reached out to him again. I had um, Professor CJ uh, from the Dangerous History Podcast. But yeah, one of the things that, that he brought up is just calling it marijuana was a very deliberate thing because uh, the marijuana and then linking that with uh, scary people from Mexico going crazy and, and killing people. Uh, because cannabis was well known to people and known as a medicine. And so they're like, oh man, I'm fine with this cannabis, but I don't know about this marijuana stuff. And to this day, we still call it marijuana because of a very explicit desire to make that racial connection of yeah. scary Hispanics and this scary, dangerous drug, which, right. you know, obviously it's not. And then, yeah, then, oh man, the criminalization of opium because of the Chinese and the crackdown and the cocaine yeah. with the African-Americans. Exactly. It's a very uh, disturbing history. And so, yeah, and there's all that kind of institutional momentum that you see that has racial components. Now, it seems that as we were kind of coming closer or close-ish to kind of a post-racial society where it just wasn't as big of a deal. I mean, everybody has their own little prejudices and thoughts, instant thoughts when they see someone. But it didn't seem like it was that big of a deal. And then it just took this huge uh, left turn to being uh, everything everybody is talking about. Do you feel that... uh, there's an element of uh, kind of pushed or planned chaos to to stir the pot up and to divide people, or is this just uh, not really intentional 
like not it's not a wedge issue that's intentionally being used it's just uh people are angry in general about orange man bad and corona and you know stuff oh man you could probably have a doctoral study on that whole thing (laughs) man it's jesus i mean so many things going on like you said the coronavirus you know, you have, like I just, you know, talked about, you have a, you do, like, one thing that gets on my nerves is my fellow right with my right wing libertarians, if that's what you want to call them, who, you know, I love these guys, but they get so entrenched on being against the left, which I am too, against the left. They get so entrenched on that side that they, think anything coming from that left wing area is BS. Mm. Like, okay, it's not true. It's not true. It's not true. And they'll find some statistic that, you know, meets the criteria of them being right. So they, it's not true. It's not true. Look at these black on black crime stats. Or look at this, look at that, you know, and I'm just saying like, okay, like, yes, we know the left is full of it. We know, we know, but Hey, you know, Maybe the reason all these black people are aligning themselves with the left is because they're the only ones that's listening. Like they are the only one that's saying, Hey, okay, we, you know, we roll with you. We, you know, we understand what you're saying. And maybe there's some truth to what you're saying. Well, the left doesn't say maybe there's some truth. The left is saying, Oh, it's all true. It's all true. Because it, you know, it goes with their, their, uh, their MO, you know, I mean, it's, their MO is just kind of a redo of more old classical Marxism of instead of classes and, you know, proletariat versus the bourgeoisie, it's, you know, it's black versus white, you know, trans versus, trans versus, you know, heterosexual male, it's man versus woman, it's, you know, it's all these identities, but it's pretty much the same thing. And, you know, I just wish, I wish more of my right-leaning libertarians kind of just hear that there are some things that's happening in the black community that they would agree with are horrible, but they just can't, they just can't stop being blinded by the whole left versus right paradigm that, you know, that's going on. Mm. And obviously, if you just spread it out, if you notice, just every movement has kind of this left versus right versus center fight. Like even the right. Democrats, you know, there's your, you know, AOC kind of Bernie Sanders Wayne versus the establishment hawkish Clinton Biden Wayne versus the center. Then there's the on the right wing, you have the you know the, the Mitch uh, Mitt, Mitt Romney. Republicans, then you have the hardcore kind of right-wing Republicans. <clears throat> and even in libertarians, you have the light, uh, left libertarians versus right libertarians versus anarchists. Yeah. But, but and, you know, just in all honesty, it's like, man, like, especially as libertarians, we, just got, we got to figure out a way to come together, man, because it's just not going to work out if we're just constantly battling each other over really a lot of stupid stuff. You know, and um, they would just kind of start listening to each other a little bit and try to find some common beliefs 
you know, we'll, you know, we have a, we'll have a movement that can make some changes, but right now it's just not it. Yeah. I'm sorry. I kind of, I kind of went off into a, no, that's, into a different thing. No, that's, that's very good. Uh, it, it's so true. Um, how, when you've kind of chosen a side, there's all these implicit biases that kind of come with that. It, it's like, if you were to predict when the, when the COVID started, like, okay, in three months, what are the Democrats going to be saying? What side is like, if you're a Democrat, you definitely believe masks don't work or masks do work. Well, I mean, that was, yeah. that was back when, you know, the CDC was saying, don't wear masks. And so, you know, it's like, right. you, you, but now it's, it's very much down the line. It's like, Oh, everything is it's it, like, it, it's so disgusting. Yeah. Like it is so disgusting, man. Like you can't even have a conversation about COVID-19 without politics coming up, which is nuts. Yeah. Like this has absolutely nothing to do with a disease, a virus, has nothing to do with your politics, yeah. you know, and your ideology or whatever. How how we react to it, yes, that has a you know uh, an impact. But it's it's just so frustrating. Like, I mean, you watch riot, you will see riots happen, pe- people out there with no masks, and they're being cheered on. And then you know, some Republicans get together and they don't have masks and. They're like, aha, look at these people not wearing masks. They're all going to die. Yeah. And it's like, what is wrong with you? You know, like, what is the problem with your thinking? And the only thing I can think of is, like, the government loves this. Like, the state absolutely loves this. Mm-hmm. The state loves to divide people and put them into little chunks that they could social engineer and use for their own uh, influence. So, I mean, the state, the state is a is a driver of this. The media, oh my goodness, the media loves this. The media loves pitting racists against each other and different identities and all this stuff. I mean, you see it every time. If a black man gets killed by a police, they put that in the news. But you know, if a white guy gets killed. You know, there's no mention of his race or Hispanic or whatever. Or they don't even mention it. They they don't even mention it. And you could just see clearly that they are trying to, I really don't know what the end game is, but they want to shake this country up to a point where maybe you get a revolution, you know, or maybe, I I don't know, especially with the media, I don't know what their end game is. I mean, you would think it's just to make money. And maybe that is the end game. Maybe it's just to yeah, good ratings get enough when people watching. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, but I, I, what I worry is that, you know, they're trying to shake it up to um, unseat Trump to make him look bad. Right. But, you know, once you kind of open that Pandora's box, you, you don't really know where it's going to go. And then they're going to be like, Oh man, maybe we shouldn't have started <laughs> a revolution. <laughs> now they're coming for us. And the hilarious thing is, the hilarious thing is like Trump was doing bad all by himself. Yeah. Like they could have just like, without this whole say without the rights, say if you didn't have the rights and the looting and you just had some good old fashioned protests, peaceful protests like they like to say 
and it wasn't looking good for Trump this year. Yeah. You know, uh, he had a bad year. I mean, back in January when he kind of, you know, when the impeachment thing happened and nothing came up, oh, nothing came of it. I was like, wow, man, Trump is Teflon. Like he, yeah. <laughs> this dude is winning. And but ever since then, he, he, the only really thing he had was the economy. And look, I mean, just look at where we are. Mm. But but the, what they are doing is going to give him another four years Seems because, like yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, middle America, the solid majority or whatever you want to call them, you know, they don't, they don't want that. They don't want riots in the street. They don't want businessmen being plumbed in the street and beat. They know, like we live in an era, era, era where they could see what's really going on. They don't watch CNN all day. They could see, they could pull up Facebook and, Twitter or whatever and see what's actually happening in the streets and see the lies that are being told to them. And, you know, and, and they are going to want order. And we've seen this happen before, like in 67, 68 with all the riots and the rise of the black Panthers and the spike in crime and all that stuff. It caused a hard rejection after people were receptive to the civil rights movement. It caused a hard rejection and laid the groundwork for what we see as the you know the war on drugs and the DEA and all that stuff and you know that hardcore law and order stuff and you know that's what something we could see from Trump but I just don't know if he's competent enough to take advantage. Yeah. You'd think Trump would be super easy to beat. All you have to do is be competent and not senile. And it just boggles my mind that it's Biden and then he picked Kamala Harris in this moment. Ugh. And that could be a whole nother discussion, but yeah, it's just, I, I don't, I don't get it. So, I mean, I don't know why Trump's not touting his uh, basically the only good thing he's done, which is the criminal justice reform. Well, not getting us into new wars, but didn't really stop any others, but his criminal justice reform was, was pretty good. Yeah. And, 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 you know, just like, here's what I did. Here's what Kamala Harris did. You just run those <laughs> things on a loop. And it's like, okay, who are you going to vote for? I want to bring, you know, law and order to your communities. And I don't want to lock you up for petty crimes. And I'm certainly not going to laugh about it. <laughs> and boom, you know, all he needs to do, because I think it, Oh, there's a Tom Woods podcast talking about kind of the statistics of him uh, winning and people think it was a racist voting for him, but no, oh. it was carrying a little bit more of the black vote, a little bit more of the Hispanic vote Yeah, really gave him a significant boost. And all you really need is for some of the African-Americans to not show up to vote right? Uh, because they're disgusted and Trump's and that could happen. Years. You know, that could happen. It could easily you know, happen. It could happen. And, you know, I mean, the old guard, the old guard of the black community does like Joe Biden. Uh, you know, the older black voters, but the younger kind of millennial aged, not Gen Z, but, you know, the 30 to 40 old age black Americans don't really like Biden much. A lot of them are planning on sitting out. A lot of them want to form their own party or 
just find another option because they just don't believe the Democrats, you know, represent what they want. You know, they don't, they don't, you know, they're not fans of Republicans or Trump or anything like that, but they don't like the vision of the current Democratic Party either. So you could see a situation again in November where, you know, a number of uh, black voters do sit out. And that's why the Democrats want so hard to get out the vote. Like they always do, because they know the more votes, the better for them. Oh man, if Trump wins, some heads are like yeah, really bro. bro like, like I don't really. It really doesn't matter. Like who? Like we're not looking at an election day. It's going to be like an election week, and oh. it is going to be chaos because Joe Biden is going to not concede, or he's going to say he win. Trump is going to say he won. They're going to be counting, you know, absentee ballots for days. Like yeah. I'm really, I am truly worried about what the country is going to look like because it's it could get really ugly, man. Like, mm. well, on that hopeful note, I've kept you for long enough. Thank you very much. I know uh, you're a little bit later time zone than me, but uh, <laughs> if you got any ideas of of what to name this one, uh, let me know. Yeah, but. I've just really enjoyed having you on. No, man, let's 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 do it again. I know we got a. I mean, we have a ton to talk about, so yeah, we can do a part two. Yeah. Whenever whenever you want to do it, we can do a part two, and just kick it a little bit. But uh, yeah, I need to check out that episode you did with uh, CJ, man. I love that guy. You know, uh, when I was talking about how some right libertarians don't want to listen, like he, I don't know if he's a right libertarian. Like, I don't know. I don't know him that closely, but. You know, his coverage of the Civil War, those podcasts he did, like, that was just some great stuff that he did, you know, because, you know, you talk to some libertarians and they either come out, most of them are like, uh, the South, you know, it had, you know, Civil War had nothing to do with slavery, secession had nothing to do with slavery, you know, slavery was just, you know, slavery was nothing, like, you know, some of them, they just get to the point where, you know, they try, they try so much to protect the, the Southern independence and the heritage and the, and the, uh, and the, uh, you know, the history of secession, which I, I love, uh, that they try to paint it a certain way. And I think CJ, with his podcast series that he did on the Civil War, he just did such a good job in just painting the good, bad, and ugly. Like, like history is, that's, that's history. History is good, bad, and ugly. You get, and you just got to take it for what it is, man. You know? And You're talking uh, historical controversies? No, I'm talking uh, CJ. Uh, the Dangerous History Podcast? Dangerous History Podcast, yeah. He, oh, okay. he, yeah, he, yeah. he did a series on this his Civil War, but also the historical controversies. Yeah, yeah both, them did and both of them are excellent. Like it's so good. Yeah, you can just listen to both, and I feel like you, like it's almost like a college course on the Civil War. But oh, way more than a college course. Yeah, I, mean, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much like uh, intricate detail. I was just, I was just fascinated, and they really kind of brought just kind of the experience and the reasons behind everything. Right. And, uh, right. and it's you know, it's they really focus on primary sources, not what some jackass said, you know, 
1890 yeah. about it. But you know what, what they were, what were they saying in 1960, 1862, and you know 1859? Right. What were they saying? That's what I want to know. So yeah, I, I appreciated what those guys did. So. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that you were doing. You you've been killing it with the podcast game, so I got to go back and check it out, man. Well, thank you, thank you. All right, so this is going to be on dot com slash ep thirty with the Afro Libertarian. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>